Uh, okay, then. Ron Wolfley. Ron Wolfley. What is up? <laughs> Witch buster. Extraordinaire. Love that guy. Luke Lipinski. He sounds pretty good. He sounds pretty articulate. Wolf and Luke. 98.7 FM. Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios on this Thursday morning, it is the Wolf and Luke Show. Wolf, looking up on one of these TVs, I'm already seeing pregame for Brown Steelers tonight. So. You're loving that right there. Brown Steelers, man. Some of the worst fights I've ever seen were at Brown Steelers games. Well, yeah, even that one just a couple years ago where Miles Garrett was swinging his, not his helmet, but Mason Rudolph's helmet. And that was just one of, of, of many chapters of this rivalry. Yeah, of course, I'm talking about the fights in the stands more oh. than anything else. Um, <laughs> yeah, well. I was only there in Cleveland for two years, but I can tell you uh, both times walking into the stadium, and it didn't matter where we were. One time it was in Cleveland, one time it was in Pittsburgh, but watching fans <laughs> brawl. Uh, yeah, you know, it was very interesting. As you're walking by through the parking lot, of course, uh, sometimes you had an escort, sometimes you did not. Especially if you were playing home, you were just walking through on your own. You'd park your car, walk through, and a lot of times um, there were people that were out there, well, tailgating, I think is what you'd call it right there. And as they were tailgating, they were trying to kick each other's tail. Interesting. <laughs> well, there you go. That's that They put the tail on tailgating. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, they're going to play tonight in, uh, in Cleveland. 5-15 Arizona time, two one and one teams right there. But, uh, Wolf, our focus is squarely on what's coming up this weekend when the Cardinals host the L.A. Rams. In the NFC West, it's only two weeks. It's obviously, at the moment, very up for grabs with every team being one and one I'm of the belief Seattle kind of threw everything they had at Denver on Monday night in week one, and they're going to trail off pretty quickly. Like, I could see Seattle being one of the worst teams in the NFL. Um, But we'll see. I think San Francisco is going to start to trend up right now, as unfortunate as it is for Trey Lance. They have an established guy that's already won there before or had, you know, taken them deep in the playoffs. But uh, Rams-Cardinals is going to get real interesting, Wolf, because on top of everything between these two teams, five of the Cardinals' next nine games are in the NFC West. And they don't play anybody again until San Francisco in Week 18. But they got the Rams in Week 3. They've got the Seahawks Week 6. They've got the Seahawks again in Week 9. Rams 10, 49ers 11. Yeah, you know, right now I think there's so much there's so much at stake for the Arizona Cardinals going forward early in the season. Listen, early in the season once again. If you told me the Arizona Cardinals had a 2-4 and four start to the season, yet they finished great, they finished like they started last year, let's put it that way, that they got better as the year went along, and actually finish strong all the way through November and December, I would take that scenario. I would. I'd take that scenario over the scenario we've seen the last couple of years were they, crashing at the end. They were 11-6 and six last year but fell apart down the stretch. I would take 10-7 and seven this year but playing their best football in December. Exactly 100%. Right. But can I just say this right now? I believe this game early in the season, week three in the National Football League, this game in particular at home against this team of all teams, based on what happened the last time they were staring at each other on a football field, this feels like there's a massive upside for the Arizona Cardinals. Well, look, this is the game. I don't know about everybody else, but for me, this the, the first thing I looked at on the schedule was when they play the Rams. When? Is it, is it you know, in both games. I mean, they obviously play them twice because that, to me, 
is the one team, and maybe I'm I'm higher on the Cardinals at times, or at least I'm higher on their ceiling. I think than a lot of fans are at this moment. But sure. I think when they play to their best, they they could they could beat anybody except maybe Buffalo, Kansas City. I will see. I mean, they've beaten Buffalo in the past. Buffalo's better now. The one team that I need to see them actually play well against is the Rams because of how that playoff game looked, where it looked like the Rams said, "Okay, this is all we have to do to beat the Cardinals." And Aaron Donald's comments afterwards, and how rattled. Kyler Murray looked. I don't expect Kyler Murray to look rattled against anybody else on the schedule. I don't know what to expect against the Rams until I see otherwise. Yeah, no, I'm I, honestly, I just I think the upside is so huge for the Arizona Cardinals right here. That means, of course, if they lose, this is going to be one that got away. Imagine what this might do for a team, Basinonians, that has struggled to find itself. And if, in fact, I'm right that the first half of the Raiders game was more 2021 than 20. 22 and the second half of the Raiders game was 2022 a brand new season this is who we are this is the way we're gonna play and you follow it up with the Rams of all teams who who have owned you in your building in your stadium have owned you basically overall in the Cliff Kingsbury era and now all of a sudden you're able to follow up what you did in the second half of the Raiders game by beating the Rams Boy, I'll tell you what, that is a big confidence boost, a big upside here for the Arizona Cardinals. And that that means there's more import to this game than normal. Well, it would be a game changer because, and I hear what you're saying, you're talking specifically about the Kingsbury-Kyler era because the two previous eras don't really matter this Sunday. But Sean McVay has owned the Cardinals ever since he's taken over. I mean, and he he was against two previous regimes there, which I think just from a fan's perspective, you would like to see Sean McVay lose to the Cardinals. I know they did it last year in October, and I I, I mean I like Sean McVay. I think he's if he's not the best coach in the NFL, if that if that title still goes to Belichick or whoever else you want to put up there, I think McVay's right there. But it's time for the Cardinals to start beating him, and maybe this is a chance to catch the Rams when they are a little flat at the start of the season. I don't think that's why the Cardinals beat the Rams at the start of last year. The Rams were undefeated going into that game, um, but at the same time, you know, to your point, it is a it's a major opportunity because well, from my mind, there's three ways this game could go. There is the you go out there and you get run off the field by the Rams again, and then we're all kind of looking around saying, okay, then what is this team? Was it just mm-hmm. one good half against sure. the Raiders where Kyler played out of his mind? There is the other option where you beat the Rams and then anything goes because then you have looked good for your last game and a half against your nemesis. Or there's that middle option where you play well, but you lose, and then it's still kind of like, all right, let's see what this team sure. is. Yeah, you know, and and once again, I, I cannot help it. Um, that is that is a that is a fan's perspective. I think for the most part, I'm looking at the players inside that locker room, and I'm sorry, but this is me. It always is going to be me, and you know that, Luke. You know, I'm going to come from the players' perspective, even though I am old, even though I am older. Let's put it that way. Um, I still think like. A player, and I never apologize for doing that. And because of that, I, I'm thinking of the upside for the Arizona Cardinals. Now, listen, if they go out and they ball out, and that's what I really want to see from a player's perspective, I want to see this be a competition and not a coronation. I want to see them go out and ball out and play well against the Rams. Sometimes you just have to tip your cap to your opponent. Sometimes your opponent makes plays and they win games. Do the Rams have players that can make Make plays and win games. Yes, without a doubt. 
and everyone knows it. So all you can do is focus on what you're doing, your individual assignment, your job, go out and ball out in between the white lines and let the chips fall where they may. But collectively, when you consider the collective, the upside for the Arizona Cardinals in winning this game, following it up, a good, well-played game against the Rams at home, following it up after what they did with the Raiders, the, the, the confidence boost collectively that this team could absorb is off the charts. Yeah, Kyler talked about them needing the confidence boost they got at the end of the Raiders game. Yes. Very, very openly, I thought. But, you know, again, if you want to go from the fan side of things, if the Cardinals beat the Rams on Sunday, there's nobody on the schedule that you don't believe they can beat. Now you look forward and think about what the perception of this team was coming out of the Chiefs game. <laughs> it was, okay, look, I, they can't get anything right. What are they going to do? When four, we had that poll question on ArizonaSports.com, and the vast majority said four wins or less for the Cardinals. <laughs> think about that. Well, that's how they kind of looked. Well, right? yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not questioning how they looked. Uh, but if you, and it's, it's going to be an uphill battle to beat the Rams, but if you beat the Rams, in addition to what that does for you at, collectively in the locker room, as a fan base, there's nobody on this schedule that you think, Think, oh, we can't beat that team. Right now, I believe that Rams team is still the one that's on your schedule where you're like, I got to see it because they, yeah. it was their worst game of this era at the on the biggest stage against the Rams, a team that has already had uh, had their number over the uh, the years. So we'll see. I mean, there's like you said, there's a lot to gain on uh, on Sunday. When we come back, what led to Robert Sarver's decision to ultimately sell the Phoenix Suns? One ESPN analyst points to two things in particular. We're going to tell you what they are next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, welcome back to the show. You see, Wolf, that the uh, Detroit Pistons swooped in and took Boyan Bogdanovich from Utah for nothing yeah. this morning. What is going on? About that? <laughs> the Suns were interested in him, and Detroit's like, hey, we've uh, we've got some media guides from last year. Will that get the deal done? Yeah. Detroit. Yeah, we got scooped by Detroit. What happened there? Stinking Pistons. Yeah. Well, if they win the title this year, then I will... Uh, I guess I'll, I'll let them have this because they're not winning the title this year. I wanted a Bogdanovich. I guess there's still at least one other one out there. All right, uh, Brian Windhorst was on with Bickley and Murata this morning, and he said a couple things that I think reinforced some of the speculation. Actually, you and I were uh, were having yesterday, Wolf, in terms of uh, of how this um, how this whole situation has has gone down. Let's let's start with this. Brian Windhorst on with Bickley and Murata saying um, one thing that uh, the owners did not want to have to do was actually have to vote Robert Sarver out. I found it unlikely that such a vote would ever take place. However, if other players... Um you know, built off of that and, and and began pressuring all owners to have to answer via a vote. Um, that could have also, I, I think that was a, a new era, a new level of, a, you know, in the discord. And I, 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 I don't know for sure, but I think that that was something that nobody in the, in the ownership circles wanted to see continue to be discussed. And that follows up on this too, from Windhorst real quick, two key, uh, two key, 
moments that he thinks probably added to the fuel for Sarver to sell? I really found the whole situation unpredictable. And I think two things that happened in the previous few days. Uh, one was the Players Union executive director very aggressively calling for him to be banned for life. Um, in the midst of collective bargaining, excuse me, agreement um, discussions, which, um, you know, just underscores how important it was to the union to, to make that statement. The second thing was Draymond Green, I think, very strategically calling for an owner vote, um, which would have forced the uh, owners to take sides on removing Robert Sarver. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting at this point. Um, it's a situation I think most of us would agree. It really doesn't matter the how, how this actually happened and why it happened. The what, the fact that it is happening, period. The end result is what everyone seems to care about the most, I think. Yeah, uh, Draymond Green's not stupid, and and that's that's the thing. I, you know, him going on his own podcast and saying what he said the other day, do I think that all of a sudden switched everything? And they yeah. were like, well, Sarver was going to own yeah. the team, and now he's not. No, I don't. But I think Draymond Green knew what he was doing. I thought this yesterday. I thought Draymond Green knew what he was doing by saying, all right, how about you guys just vote on it then? Because as, as the collective group of owners, what are you supposed to do? What are you going to say, well, no, we don't want to. <laughs> Why not? So then are you going to vote on it? Well, no, they didn't want to. They didn't want to. They didn't want to have, okay, well, these 15 owners voted you out, Robert, but the the rest didn't. So you're still in. And by the way, know that these 15 apparently have it out for you. Like Draymond Green just held up the mirror and was basically like, all right, you guys can either take care of it or there's just going to be more and more public pressure. And I don't think that led to the sale, but I would not be shocked if after because the timing is interesting enough where I'm sure there was more pressure applied from other owners at that point. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. Um, certainly some of the minority owners within the Suns organiza- organization period. Yeah, I think they didn't they, hide it. I think those guys um, definitely had an influence. There's no doubt about it. Yet, at the same time, I think of Adam Silver and I think of his statement that he released after the news came down that Robert Sarver was indeed. It's so telling to look at it. Not only that, but also the NBA PA, C.J. McCollum being the president, of course, his comment. I, I thought it was really interesting to hear Robert or, or hear Adam Silver say this is the right next step for the organization and community. That's what he said. That was his statement yeah. right there. Um, that was a little more definitive than the statements he was given last week, too. Exactly. And then C.J. McCollum, of course, saying, we thank Mr. Sarver for making a swift decision that was in the best interest of our sports community. <laughs> that, you know, that's those are, um, yes, the smoldering is there, is it not? Uh, more from Brian Winhorst on how this actual sale might work now. The one thing that Robert Sarver still has control of is who he sells to. He gets to decide uh, who can buy this team, and relationships matter. Um, there have been times in the last decade where the highest bidder did not get a team because the, uh, the selling party preferred a different, uh, uh, you know, a different buyer, and so that's one thing that Robert. Sarver still has control of. Now, uh, any buyer would have to be approved by the NBA, other NBA owners, but uh, Robert Sarver can choose, and that's an interesting factor here. Yeah, I mean, we saw this with the Coyotes, what, like 10 years ago? He can't just go and be like, I'm going to sell it to this guy whether you like it or not. Like, no, no, the league and the owners have a say, but he still has a lot of control over this team until he sells it. Yeah, you know, I really am um, pretty excited right now when you think of... What does this do for this team going forward? 
What, what does it do for the parties that are involved right now? At some point in time, this is where the conversation is going to shift. And I love the fact that it is going to shift towards this. The future, of course, and what is coming, as opposed to what has happened. And I think we're all done over what has happened for the most part and ready to take that next step forward. What does this do for this organization? What does it do for this franchise? And what is next? Those are the questions, I think, that most Suns fans right now are asking. I think this is the clip, too, where, where Brian Windhorst talks about the potential uh, price of the Phoenix Suns. Because mm. you and I were talking about this yesterday. The actual sale. Yeah, there's there's a valuation out there that says $1.92 billion. And so people are saying, okay, he's only going to get 35% of that. It's only a few hundred million. Um, that's the valuation. How many times have you seen, okay, this item is worth this, but when there's a bidding war for it, it goes for a lot more than it's worth. Yeah, I would keep an eye on uh, the family of the late uh, Sheldon Adelson. Um, uh, his uh, wife, Miriam, he uh, obviously is worth a, he, was, he passed away, I believe, last year. Um, I believe his estate was over $25 billion, uh, mostly known for owning the Venetian um, in Las Vegas. Um, his family and his heirs uh, I believe were parts of bids for the L.A. Clippers when Steve Ballmer bought it and were involved in the Raiders, maybe not necessarily to buy the Raiders, but were involved in potentially owning that stadium and maybe being a partial owner of the Raiders. They have sniffed around the NBA in the past, and if you're based in Las Vegas um, and you can't buy a team in L.A., the second plus space to buy a team would be Phoenix. So um, I would put them on the list um, of, of, you know, people to watch. Uh, that's not the one where he gives the price. Well, if that's him giving a potential ownership group, yeah. cap, but he did say expect well above $2 billion. Yeah, you know, once again, who cares? What do I know? But uh, I said, I think it'll start with a three. 3.1, as a matter of fact, is what I put it at. But who knows? I mean, all it takes is two. That's, that's what it takes. It takes two guys, two entities that want to buy the Phoenix Suns to just jack the price up significantly. Yeah. That's you're 100% it. right. It's, it's like it's like a free agent being out there and 28 of the teams are like, we don't need this guy. But if two teams want him, even if he's not that good in free agency, you can start a bidding war. You're going to be in a much better spot. Uh, obviously, the Suns are a very... Very um, marketable team to sell, and there's going to be a lot of people lined up. I want to play this one, too, real quick that I haven't heard yet. This is Baxter Holmes, who, of course, originally wrote the story back in uh, November. He said he's actually shocked that Robert Sarver is selling the team. If you go back to the statements that he put out and that the team put out from October 2021, when we first reached out um, about the investigative story that we were preparing to publish, and then when we published it in November, then their statements last week. Um, when the NBA announced its findings and investigation, and even some of the statements that he released today, there was a strong tone of defiance. And talking to people in and around the organization, that tone was felt. There was a feeling that no matter what the NBA, after their, their announcement, that he would not relent. He would not give up the reins of the organization. But certainly we saw more players speak out, LeBron, Chris Paul, Draymond Green, the sponsor PayPal threatened to pull out. So the, the temperature was rising quite a bit, and certainly some I talked to wondered whether it would become ten, whether it would be tenable for him to hold on. But the word I come back to is shock. 
Yeah, you know, um, I, that's, I, I don't know if I'd use the word shocked. It seemed inevitable. I'm shocked that he's shocked. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> I really am. There you go. That's the way to say it. Well, well done, Luke. Uh, it seemed inevitable to me for the most part. And as, as you had these entities coming out and throwing darts, metaphorically speaking, at Robert Sarver, I'm sure Adam Silver was picking up the phone and saying, Robert, I, I think we know what has to happen here. I, I think, again, the deal behind the deal, so to speak, I think that was always prevalent and always um, part of the process. It really doesn't matter, though, once again, at this point in time. Going forward is what matters. Texas, your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. We come back. What are you watching when the Cardinals take on the Rams on Sunday? Wolf's going to tell you what he's watching next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Wolf, I always love the What Will Wolf Watch Thursday edition so much more than the What Will Wolf Watch Wednesday edition because it's just so much easier to say. That extra W is Yeah, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. What Will Wolf Watch. And then I'm of particular interest to me this time because usually I know what Wolf's going to watch. But today, I have no idea where you're going with this, so take it away. Yeah, okay. Uh, Without further ado or delay of any kind, what do you say we go ahead and play that thing, Bell? What will Wolf watch of Smug and Smog? You gotta wait for it, don't you? Here's the post. You all know it and love it as well. The Los Angeles Rams are coming to town. Thank goodness they won't bring their smog to the basin. The smoke from last year's Super Bowl championship still smolders around this team. And that smog could be the Rams becoming smug. Smug. Having or showing an excessive pride in oneself or one's achievements. I didn't say that. Webster's Dictionary said that. But when you watch the tape of the Rams playing football in the first two weeks of the season, you see a team that is very comfortable with themselves. And why wouldn't they be, my friends? Sean McVay may be the best coach in the National Football League, and the only other names that challenge that statement are Bilicek, Tomlin, and Reed. Aaron Donald might be the best football player of all time, and is wreaked havoc on the Cardinals in the Cliff Kingsbury era. And then there is this. Matthew Stafford proved he was a true franchise quarterback when he played his best when the Rams needed him the most in the biggest game there is in the football universe. Jack Nicholas, all oh, the legend Jack Nicholas once said, complacency is a continuous struggle that we all have to fight. Matthew Stafford doesn't look like he's fighting to be the Matthew Stafford in the Super Bowl. Stafford looks like Detroit. He hasn't protected the ball well and seems to have a laissez-faire approach to throwing the football like he did last year in the regular season. But I don't think Matthew Stafford is complacent. 
I think his internal clock is ticking. And he knows Andrew Whitworth is no longer playing left tackle. His blind side is being protected by Joe Noteboom, whose last name literally translates into one who records explosions. The Rams' offense has been anything but explosive, let alone Super Bowl caliber. They can't run the ball. They can't throw the ball well, and trying to protect their quarterback has been a disaster. Stafford is sacked over 10% of the time when he drops back to pass. His quarterback rating is 80.7, and he's turned the ball over six times in two games. He's not getting a lot of help. The Rams are number 31 in rushing yards per game and number 32 in rushing yards per play. The defending Super Bowl champions are the worst rushing team in professional football. Every time they hand the ball off to a running back, they average just over 2.5 yards per carry. That is failure to compete on the line of scrimmage, no matter how you cut it. Grand Hill's mother, Janet, once said, Don't fear failure. Fear success. Because success can change you. Grand Hill's mother was a wise woman. The Rams have changed on offense, but Cooper Cup hasn't changed one bit. This guy is a route-running, pass-catching, jaw-dropping Hollywood freak show. He will never become complacent, and the receiver room for L.A. is very, very good, which makes Stafford and his, his numbers look even worse. The Cardinals need to be capable of stopping the run by matching hats. However many helmets the Rams have in the box, the Cardinals need to have in the box. Put a hat on a hat is what the Cards want, while still being able to stuff the Rams and mount them on the wall. That will allow them to cover receivers and force Stafford to throw them the ball. Benjamin Franklin once said, as pride increases, fortune declines. I don't know if this actually applies to the Rams, but their fortunes will increase when their pride declines. Because humility is a wonderful master. But let's hope they don't find their master in State 48. This is going to be a test, of course, for this Arizona Cardinals defense. We know what we saw from this defense against a very good offense in the Raiders with Derek Carr, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is more of a deep threat than anybody the Cardinals are going to face against the Rams. To see him go out and get shut down by Byron Murphy, that is going to be a huge part of this going forward as well. How well can that defense play against the Rams? Because the Rams offensively are struggling. You just uh, quote Grant Hill's mom and Benjamin Franklin in the same piece? I did, as a okay. matter of fact. To make Grant sure. Hill's mother. I'm going to start playing Wolf Bingo on, on some of these. And uh, I had, If anybody had uh, Wolf quoting Grant Hill's mom and Benjamin Franklin in the same bit, that's... Uh, that's yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. You uh, said that like Jack. Yeah, I need to work on my Jack Nicholson. Maybe it's already seeping through. The, um, the 
potential of beating the Rams, this is going to sound weird, although you just said it, so now I feel like I can say it too. It probably does start by going through Matthew Stafford, doesn't it? It does. I mean, yeah, I get it. Oh, he won a Super Bowl. He's the greatest quarterback ever. That, that's that's fine. Uh, but he's not. <laughs> there's there's eight, nine, ten quarterbacks I'd rather have in the NFL right now, at least. The, where the Rams are scary is Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup and some of these other pieces yeah. they have. Now, Stafford is not, he's not a weakness on a normal team. But on the Rams, if you're looking for any way to beat this team... You have Matthew Stafford turning the ball over is much more likely than Aaron Donald not getting to your quarterback. Yeah, you know, again, the Rams have had issues with that offensive line in terms of protecting Matthew Stafford, in terms of running the ball. They're they're not good. They're bad. Think about this. Number 31 in yards per game, rushing number 32 in yards per play. I mean, when you put those two together... You are bad. They don't seem to know who their running back is either. Because week one, they just they completely like froze Cam Akers out. It was like he was in trouble. And then yeah. in week two, he got more carries, but he couldn't run. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so you kind of do need to know what your attack is going to be. I actually like uh, the backs they run out there. I just think their offensive line is really struggling. Daryl Henderson, of course, and Cam Akers, those two guys in particular. I thought they would both be at least I decent. Really, yeah, absolutely. I, I really um, I, I like their backfield. I just think right now what they're doing overall is just weird. And Sean McVay, Sean McVay, and we're going to talk more on this as the show unfolds, but Sean McVay is an absolute psycho savant genius. He really is. I think just from from past experience and using logic too, it's not that playing the Rams this Sunday is going to be easy. There's there's no there's no possible way to spin that. But I would say it's it would make sense if it's easier to beat them this Sunday than it will be November 13th in their building because then the season is in full swing and we are in week 10. And remember the Rams last year, they started good, but they really fell off for a little bit and then they turned it on in the second half of the season and the playoffs. So again, I don't think you're going to sneak up on the Rams when you're in their division, but I would go out there and try and get this win at home if you're the Cardinals and feel like you absolutely can do it. And it's going to be tougher the next time you play them. When uh, when we come back, where does Kyler Murray rank among the best quarterbacks in the National Football League following week two? And what does he have to say about facing Aaron Donald again? That's next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Hi, this is Kyler Murray, and you're listening to 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Nobody in this room is fast as this kid. He's like that little kid. You can't catch me. Nah, nah, nah. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Snap to Murray, and he's going to keep it off the left side. He's at the 10, at the 5. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Our guy is one of those that gives you a chance every Sunday, and at his best, you know, I don't know who's better in this league. Let's be the best. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Wolf and Luke talk Cardinals. Now. He was obviously the key against the Raiders this past Sunday, and he's going to be the key against the Rams this week, too. Especially because, Wolf, as we were talking about earlier, this is really the one team, and I know he's he's the quarterback of the local team, so there's a certain amount of fans that are, are, are critical of him for different things. But to me... That Rams playoff game last year was the one time since Kyler Murray has been drafted, even since that first game against the Lions in his first year, that was the one game where I've seen Kyler Murray look truly rattled. Yeah. And so this is going to be our first chance to see him against the Rams since then. Uh, he's moved up in the NFL.com quarterback rankings. He's now up to number eight this season. <laughs> Three spots. Who do they have ranking these quarterbacks, honestly? Uh, Who is this? Is uh, this? Let me see where Stafford is. Stafford's only seventh, so it's not Dan Orlovsky ranking these it's quarterbacks. It's all my 
my goodness. Because he would have had okay, him first. So Stafford is seven? Yeah, this I don't I as I'm looking at this, I don't agree with a lot of these because here's who they have right behind Kyler. And this is supposed to be based just on this year. Jalen Hurts, who's played pretty well. Okay. Tua, who's coming off a six touchdown game, and Joe Burrow. Oh Those, my I goodness. guess Burrow hasn't had a great year, but I I, I don't know. I I would take how, how I would you, take how, Kyler and Burrow over Stafford for sure. Let me honestly, just right now, how do you put Matthew Stafford in front of Kyler Murray? How, how does that happen right now? I, yeah, I don't. Maybe, Seriously, maybe I, it Dan wasn't like Kyler Murray was horrific against the Chiefs. He was not. As a matter of fact, I thought he played better than anyone else on the field for the most part. Yeah. That was a Cardinal wearing a Cardinal helmet. Um, in the second week, we all know what happened against the Raiders, especially in that second half and what he did. Um, Matthew Stafford has a quarterback rating, as I said, of 80.7 right now. He's turned the ball over six times. He's been a turnover machine. And you got Matthew Stafford? Now, now, are you talking about collectively as body of work? It's supposed to be, if I'm reading this right, just through the first two weeks oh of the season. Because otherwise, look, either it's collective body of work and that's why he's ahead because he has a Super Bowl, but then shouldn't Burrow be ahead of him because he went to the Super Bowl <laughs> and is better? Anyway, oh, that was just a jumping off point to talk some Kyler Murray. And I want to play this clip, too. This is uh, Kyler talking, of, this is from yesterday, talking about that Raiders game on Sunday. Can that give them some momentum going into this game against the Rams? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think confidence, you know, confidence is a thing for sure. Um, I think uh, the end of the game can definitely, you know, give team confidence, uh, which which probably needed at this point. Uh, the, going off of how the game started, how we started off uh, week one, uh, going to, you know, this game, obviously a great team. Um, you know, last year's last year. Uh, none of that matters. So, um, but for sure, I think week to week, you can definitely, you know, what I'm saying get better and get better and get better. And I think we're, I think we're, you know, headed in that direction. I like the new open Kyler Murray. I mean, you don't, you don't hear a lot of quarterbacks say what he just said of, yeah, we probably could use the confidence boost after the way that game started. But it's refreshing to hear it, Wolf, because we're all thinking it. And we were all thinking it at halftime of what's going on with the Cardinals. And when the game ended, we all had the same reaction of, well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's a win. But does this have the sort of just strange circumstances where it could actually carry over to better success later on this year. Yeah, you know, once again, just listening to to Kyler speak right there, confidence is the currency of competition. I know you've heard me say that over and over and over again over the years, but it's so true. It really is. Confidence is the currency of competition, man. You buy and sell wins and losses based on performance. And so much of performance has to do with confidence. I mean, we all apply that in and know that to our own lives, right? Everybody listening right now, you can understand that. When you're more confident, are you better at what it is you're trying to do? We would be on a shadow of a doubt. No matter what it is you're trying to do, no what no matter what the task at hand is, if you're confident that you have the capabilities to do that task, oh my goodness, it's so much easier, isn't it? Well, because there's a big difference between, you know, sometimes you'll hear performers be like, Yeah, you kinda need to have that nervous energy, right? If you don't have that nervous energy, then maybe you don't have it that you're just that you're not gonna have that edge. Nervous energy is not a lack of confidence, right? That is like, okay, oh, here yeah, we go, no, like the moment's right no. here. You, no, it is you not. have to have the confidence, even if it is coupled with that sort of nervous energy right before the game or the performance or whatever it is. And I don't think Kyler Murray lacks for confidence. I don't think he really ever has. But collectively, as a team, yeah, you have to be a confident athlete to get to this level. But 
Once you get to this level, are you confident you can come back down 20 in Vegas? Are you confident you can beat the team that embarrassed you to end your season last year? We're going to see with how they play on Sunday. Here's more from Kyler, uh, how they asked him about uh, when, when he is able to improve his play and his focus when he has his back against the wall. I mean, we don't like being in that situation. Obviously, it's, it's nice to see us be able to get out of the situation. But, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, if you're, probably, if you're in that situation, probably, you know, the, the outcome um, may be a little different um but i think guys just maybe at, at you know it's at halftime we just we weren't executing you know like i told y'all it wasn't never about the focus or um you know the the uh you know the energy um everybody's flying around playing hard you know we always play hard but it's about executing at the end of the day and uh we weren't doing that so to come out in the second half but i don't think they scored a touchdown in the second half it was, it was huge for the defense and then you know for us to be able to uh you know, get the get the ball back and then uh, execute and, and go and put the ball in the end zone every time was uh, was huge. Obviously, we had the the, the one fourth uh, fourth down we didn't convert, but um, again, like like I said, it was, it was a huge turnaround. It was a huge turnaround. It was a huge turnaround like I've never seen before. And one of the things that I hang my hat on in that second half is just how balanced the offense was for the Arizona Cardinals. Again, they did not abandon the run. They did not. Cliff Kingsbury, whether they were in 11 personnel, whether they were in 12 personnel, whether they put Kyler under center or not, they they stayed balanced. They ran the ball, and yet they they need that balance, I think, overall. And this is something that is going to be very, very important going into this week's game as well. you got to stay balanced. You cannot become one-dimensional. If, if in fact, Kyler Murray is in a position of being one-dimensional, um, kind of like he was in that fourth quarter against the Raiders for the most part, even though Cliff did a great job of sticking to being balanced, there came a point in time, especially on that last possession, where they had to throw the ball inside the 10-yard yeah. line in particular. They, they had, had to throw the ball. They had no timeouts. They were worried about that. Um, they did become one-dimensional, but if that's going to be the case against the Rams. Now they're in trouble. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't want to you don't want to be going down that path really against any team, but especially against the team with Aaron Donald. I do think what Kyler was talking about right there uh, might be it's certainly one of his best strengths as a quarterback in his first three plus years now. Of when when the game is still within reach. And I know he doesn't have like a lot of monster comebacks. It's not, I mean, that, that game on, on Sunday, it's not like that's been happening every other week. But, but the way he specifically plays, if the game is in reach and it is a team that isn't the Rams, he, he seems to, he just seems to hit another gear of like, oh, yeah, I got to do whatever I can for us to come back. And he'll do it for the most part. And that doesn't yes. mean they always come back, but he individually seems to just be like, okay, it's like, it looks like he runs faster, throws more accurately, whatever he has to do to get the yards when the game is within reach. But on Sunday, it translated into a win because the defense was playing better and everybody was playing better. So I think that Kyler Murray is going to come into this game against the Rams with an awful lot of confidence. It's going to be very, very interesting to see because if if you are Aaron Donald and you're the Rams and Aaron Donald, once again, specifically, um, Aaron Donald's going to be yelling at Kyler Murray. He is. You, you watch. What kind of exchange is going to happen? Um, Aaron Donald is going to be yelling at Kyler Murray. I, I think the Rams are going to try to intimidate Kyler Murray. Well, I, I'm just saying, as, as a player, that that's not going to be news to anybody. Because if, in fact, you thought you got inside a guy's head... 
the last time you played him, and I think the Rams think they got inside Kyler Murray's head yeah. the last time they played him, you better believe you're going to get a lot. It's funny you say that because I'm sure on some level he does respect Kyler Murray. There's a lot of mutual respect on the field, even if you're competing with each other. Aaron Donald doesn't look like he respects Kyler Murray, especially, and a lot of that's going off that playoff game last week and or last year and his comments afterwards, where he basically kind of said like, "Yeah, we rattled him. We knew we knew what we had to do." Like he doesn't. I'm sure he does. And maybe he won't on Sunday, but you know, a lot of times you'll watch you'll watch a Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. Well, they respect each other, even though they want to beat each other. I don't get that feeling that Aaron Donald looks at Kyler Murray as as uh, as highly as as some people do around the league. So we will uh, we'll see we'll see another chapter of it uh, on Sunday for sure. When we come back, what impressed Lorenzo Alexander the most from the Cardinals comeback win in Vegas? We're going to ask the 15 year NFL vet next in the lowdown. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.